Well, my favorite Christmas cartoon when I was a kid was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Every year, my sister and I looked so forward to watching that cartoon. What a story. Santa had to get to the home of every single boy and girl all over the world the night of Christmas Eve. What a feat to leave toys in the home of every single kid. Now, FedEx, UPS, U.S. Postal Service combined, they can't do that, can they? However, in the story of Rudolph, there was one Christmas Eve that was especially treacherous. A blizzard had come, snow was terrible, and it made flying that sleigh impossible. And so, Rudolph, you remember the, the reindeer with the bright red glowing nose, the, kid, the other reindeer kids had made fun of him. And, uh, but this particular Christmas Eve, Rudolph was just what Santa needed. So Rudolph came and he led the sleigh. They took off and Santa was able to get to the home of every boy and girl. You know, we're always trying to get somewhere too. To work or to pick kids up from school or to a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment or maybe a hair appointment. We're always trying to get somewhere. This Christmas season, I want to ask you a question. Where is it that you're trying to get? Where are you headed? That's, these are the questions that we'll think about as we look in Matthew chapter 2. You'll remember that uh, the book of Matthew was written by the apostle Matthew. He had been a tax collector, uh, turned to Christ. Um, he writes probably sometime between 55 and 65 AD, and he focuses particularly on Jewish concerns in his gospel. Let's take a look at Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this was what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod heard then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. In verse 1, Matthew gives us some great details regarding the setting of these events. He points out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, there was also a Bethlehem in Galilee. So Matthew wants us to get clearly that this is the Bethlehem that's located in Judea, which was south of Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, it was also the birth of King David. And so Matthew wants us to see this connection between King David and the one who would come in the line of King David. So Matthew answers the where question, but what about the when question? 
He doesn't give us an exact date, but he gives us some great clues. King Herod was born in 73 BC, and he was named King of Judea in 37 BC, and he would die in 4 BC. So it is likely that Jesus was born around 5 or 6 BC. Herod was considered the king of the Jews, but Herod was no Jew. His father was an Idumean, his mother was an Arabian, and uh, he was a tyrant. Uh, the, the people did not like him. The Jewish people resented this Roman ruler that, that was over them. Uh, while a tyrant, he also accomplished a lot as a leader. Uh, for one, he, he led in the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the Magi, or the wise men, were likely students of the stars, astrology, dream interpretation, those kinds of things. We aren't sure where they came from, but there are four possibilities. They may have came from uh, Babylon, Persia, Arabia, or Egypt. All of these areas had significant Jewish populations that dated back centuries. In verse 2, these wise men, or, or Magi, uh, came to Jerusalem, the capital city, looking for the king of the Jews. Now, this troubled King Herod. He was the king of the Jews. Remember that. Was this a sign that his tenure as king was coming to an end? Oh, these thoughts must have been echoing in Herod's mind. The Magi reported seeing the star of the king of the Jews. What was this star? Well, there, there have been all sorts of proposals. It may have been some sort of an astronomical event, like, like a supernova star exploding violently and, and li- leaving a, an enormous uh, light for a period of weeks. Or it may have been a conjunction of planets, like, like we're supposed to see tomorrow, where Saturn and Jupiter come together for the first time in hundreds of years. It may have been some event like that. Uh, or more likely, it was a supernatural event that God used to guide the Magi to Jesus. Now, the word star links this to a prophecy that was given by none other than, than Balaam in Numbers twenty four seventeen, which says, a star will come out of Jacob. These Magi had likely studied Old Testament prophecies and, and other Jewish writings, and they linked this star to the coming of the promised Jewish king. So the Magi, they come to worship Jesus. They're honoring him as king, not necessarily as the son of God. How many Magi came? Well, we don't know for sure. Tradition says three, and that's based on the number of gifts, but the text doesn't tell us how many uh, made the journey. In verse 3, unsurprisingly, King Herod wants to do something about this talk of a new king. In fact, the whole town of, of Jerusalem was in an uproar about it. Perhaps the citizens of Jerusalem feared Herod's paranoia. After all, he had already had his wife and two sons killed because of a perceived threat. In verse 4, Herod gathered the, the Jewish religious leaders, the, the scribes and the chief priests, and he, and he asked these religious leaders about the location of the Messiah. Verse, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Now, remember that Herod wasn't Jewish, and for this reason, he didn't know all of the ins and outs of, of Judaism. The religious leaders explained that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And the religious leaders, when they told him this, reference Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5.2. Micah 5.2 says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler 
over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So out of this seemingly insignificant town, Bethlehem, the promised Messiah would be born. 2 Samuel 5.2 says, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be ruler over Israel. These words were originally spoken to King David. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of promises that God made to, to King David. Jesus, indeed, will be the good shepherd that God's people have longed for. He will be the ruler of rulers. In other words, he's the true king. He's no imposter king like Herod. He's the true king. He's the fulfillment of these prophecies and dozens of others. Incidentally, for those maybe who struggle with the faith and and are skeptics, I would challenge you to look into the prophecies of Jesus. They were given hundreds of years before Christ came. And if you're going to reject Jesus, you've got to wrestle through that. How could these prophecies have been given so clearly about our Lord and been fulfilled, given hundreds of years before. Now, in verse 7, Herod, concerned about maintaining his throne, he seeks out the Magi for an undercover meeting. Now, he doesn't want any additional publicity about the king of the Jews being born, but people apparently had already gotten word of that. Jerusalem was in an uproar. What he really doesn't want is anyone to discover his cruel plot to to kill this baby. Now, Herod asked the Magi about the exact timing. When did you see the star? When was it? What was Herod trying to figure out? He was trying to figure out how old that baby might be. He wanted to figure out the timing so he could estimate the child's age. Now, if you look ahead in verse 16, he plotted the death of all boys who were two and under. So he guessed that Jesus must have been within that age range. Herod acts as if he's genuinely interested in the Lord Jesus. But his intentions are anything but innocent. You know, there's a temptation for us today to act like we're interested in Jesus too. There's a temptation to to, to seem like we want to know him or be close to him. But then that not be real. We must be careful about our, our longings for the Lord Jesus. We don't want to fall in the camp of Herod who, who have interests that are not real. We, we really, we want to fall in the interests of those who really want to know him and love him. Herod told the Magi, hey, when you find the child, you come back through on your way home and let me know where he's at because I want to worship Jesus too. But he had no desire to worship Jesus, only to murder him. In verse 9, the wise men left the king and they followed the star. And that star led them right to Jesus. It stopped right where he was. Now, Jerusalem was about five or six miles uh, from Bethlehem. So the journey would have been around two hours Again, this this star stopping over Jesus is more than likely a a miraculous event, something like what the Lord did when he led his people out of Egypt and there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It may have been something sort of like that. When the Magi saw the star, it brought great joy. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to emphasize the depth of joy that these magi experienced. They were certain that something very special was happening in the birth of this king. 
Notice that the Magi go to a home rather than a manger. So some time has passed since Jesus' birth. How old is Jesus now? We aren't sure, but he's likely a young toddler, maybe around one year of age. Now, whether or not this house is connected to the stable where Jesus is born, we we don't know. What we do see is that Joseph and Mary have remained in Bethlehem, and they found more permanent living quarters. When the Magi saw Jesus, how did they respond? They fell to their knees. They fell to their knees in worship. They had been on a long journey, and this was the moment they had been waiting for. They laid their eyes on a new king, the king that had been promised by the God of the Jews centuries before, and they worshipped him. Again, at this point, they probably didn't realize just how profound their worship was. They probably didn't fully comprehend who Jesus was. Then they began to shower this boy with gifts, treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense was a resinous gum made from a a tree from Arabia. It was used medicinally and for religious worship. Myrrh was another resinous gum. It was used for embalming. Both frankincense and myrrh were used in the best perfumes. Indeed, these were gifts fit for a king. There's a sense in which this royal scene is a fulfillment of so many Old Testament passages. For example, Psalm 72, 10 through 11 says that all kings bow down in homage and offer gifts. In Isaiah 60, verses 3 through 6, the nations rejoice and bring gifts of gold and frankincense. In 1 Kings 10, 2 and verse 10, Queen Sheba gave gold, spices, and precious stones to Solomon the son of David. Yes, as the nations submit to this Davidic king, the Lord Jesus, they will find life. And so will we. Now in verse 12, the Magi return home. Will these men go to King Herod and tell King Herod Jesus' location? Will that wicked king come in full force to destroy this new baby? No. The plan of God will not be thwarted. This imposter king will not have his way, for God warned the Magi by dream not to return uh, by Jerusalem, but to take another route home. What do we learn from this passage as we reflect on it? Very simply, get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and and become a Christian, then this is the step that you need to take. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, God designed this world to be a beautiful and a perfect place. But because of our sin and rebellion, there's brokenness everywhere. What did God do when he saw us in our brokenness? Did he walk away? Did he turn us back? No. When God saw us in our brokenness, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, born as a babe in that manger. He came for our rescue. And when Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross. On that cross, he took the punishment for our sin upon himself. He was buried and God raised him from the dead. You see... God is perfectly holy, and heaven is a perfect place. No sin is permitted. 
But the reality is, every one of us hasn't just one sin, but countless sins. Without hope on our own, we could never enter into a perfect heaven, into the presence of a perfectly holy God based on our own goodness. We need a Savior. So Jesus died and was buried, and God raised him from the dead to save us, to give us life. And when we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus, God does a miracle. He takes all of the yuckiness of our lives, all of the sin, and he puts it on a son. And then he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he gives it to us. And now we can be in right standing with a God who's holy. And we can enter into a perfect heaven in the presence of a perfectly holy God because our sins have been forgiven and because the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to us. Friend, has that ever happened in your life? Has there ever been that time that you've said to Jesus, I'm sick of going my own way? I want to turn away from my sin and I want to put my faith in you. I believe you died, that you were buried, that you rose again. If that's never happened, today could be the day that that you could be saved. This is the way to get to Jesus. But if you already know Jesus, I want to challenge you to find joy in treasuring Jesus. These magi are an example to us. Did you see what filled the hearts of these magi as they neared the Lord Jesus? It was joy. Their hearts were filled with joy. And when we as believers draw near to the Lord, we too experience a deep peace and joy within. Nothing else calms and gladdens the human heart like being close to Jesus. Often as Christians, we begin to treasure other things. This gadget, that gadget, a new truck, if we could add on to the house or build a new house or or put in that pole or if I could just get that girl or ladies, if you could just get that fella or if you could just fill in the blank. As Christians, when we begin to treasure and value all of these kinds of things more than Jesus, our joy in Jesus begins to evaporate. Why? Because we were made to treasure Jesus above all. We were made to treasure and to love him more than any other. When we treasure other things, we're not fulfilling our purpose. Does a hammer make a good screwdriver or a screwdriver a good hammer? Of course not. We were made to treasure him, to value and love him. Brothers and sisters, when you treasure Jesus, when you draw near to him, that's when you'll find enduring peace and joy. Don't go to a polluted stream to satisfy your thirst. No, go to the river of living waters. Go to the Lord Jesus. Get to him. So find joy in treasuring Jesus. Third, give Jesus your best. Give him your best. These magi brought valuable treasures as gifts for the Lord Jesus. As Christians, we too should give Jesus our very best. In what ways? Well, first, we should give him our time. Spend time in prayer and reading God's word every day. If you don't have time to spend in the word and in prayer every day, then you got your priorities wrong. Bring him your best. Give him your time. And also prioritize worship like we're doing today. And and I would challenge you to get involved in a small group Bible study. Those are critical to help us grow closer to him. Yes, prioritize Jesus with your time. 
Parents, we need to be especially careful here. If this event or that activity squeezes out our commitment to to, to family worship where we read the word together with our kids or pray with our kids, that's a problem. Or if all these other activities squeeze out gathering together for, for worship, well, we shouldn't be surprised as our kids get older if they lose interest in Christ We've prioritized baseball and and football and volleyball and trips to the river and shopping and, well, you name it. We work church in every now and then. This tepid commitment to faith rarely produces children who deeply love Jesus. So what are your priorities? Are you giving Jesus your best when it comes to your time? Also, give him your best when it comes to your treasure. In other words, give to the Lord Jesus generously. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the apostle says, God loves a cheerful giver. So what should you give? Give generously to the Lord with a cheerful heart, even sacrificially. Do you give to the Lord with a cheerful heart? Do you give generously? So give him your time, your treasure, but also give him your talent. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. You see, every Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift, perhaps more. And these gifts are meant to be used to strengthen the church, to strengthen the body of Christ. Are you using the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Are you serving in the church to, to strengthen and to build up the ministry? that the church might make disciples all across the nations, across the world here and and around the world? If you're not, talk with us. We'd love to help you find the place that God has called you to serve. And when you find the right spot, you'll find a lot of joy there too. It'll help you draw closer to him. So give Jesus your very best. When I was younger and before the days that GPSs were in phones and well were everywhere, I was taking a little road trip. I was by myself and I had looked at a map before I left. Do you guys remember those? Those of you who are kids, you're going to have to ask your parents, what are those? Um, Well, on the trip, I, I suspected that I'd gotten off path somehow or another. So I stopped and pulled out that map, unfolded it, figured out, I looked I had gone nearly an hour off course before I realized that I was so frustrated. This mistake was going to cost me two hours on an already long trip. But what about you? Where are you heading in life? Are you going in the wrong direction? Chasing after this or that? And what you really need to do is turn the direction of your life toward the Lord Jesus. You need to get to him. So brothers and sisters, I urge you, don't let anything or anyone hold you back. Get to Jesus. Draw near to him. So Christians, I want to ask you, what is it that you are making of utmost importance in your life? Is it Jesus? If it's not, God's inviting you this morning through his word to take a voyage, a voyage into knowing Jesus more deeply, 
Won't you take that voyage? It'll be worth it. It'll be worth every sacrifice. Oh, it'll seem that you're giving up this or that. You're not. You're not. Oh, knowing Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. Get to Jesus. And for those of you who are here or listening and you've never trusted in Jesus, do you realize this morning you could become a believer? You could become a part of God's family? You could know Jesus personally? Why would you say no to that? You see, Jesus gave his life that, that you might know him. This morning, if you want to be saved, this is what you do. You say to Jesus, I'm sick of going my own way. Forgive me. I want to turn to you. I believe you died, that you rose again. And I am putting my life in your hands. And friends, if you do that, the Bible tells us, if, if you pray that and you mean that, that God will take hold of you and he will never, ever let you go. Oh, that's how you get to Jesus. And friends, if you've never gotten there today, let today be the day that you get to him. But if you refuse, you need to know that one day you will stand before God in all of his holiness. Blazing white purity. Blazing holiness. And maybe you've imagined that you would tell him, hey God, look at how good I've been. But friends, when you stand before God in all of his purity, your goodness, my goodness, is a joke. Pathetic. Your only hope on that day, friend, is that the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been granted to you. So today, would you turn to him in faith and believe that you might stand before God on the day of judgment, not on your own righteousness, but on the beauty of the righteous, the perfect righteousness of Christ. You can be assured that you'll be welcomed into a perfect heaven. Today, won't you be saved? Won't you get to Jesus? Let's pray.